0: stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.
1: Over the past few weeks we've been seeing some startling news come out of local hospitals. ER closures in Clinton and St. Mary's due to staff shortages, surgeries being delayed or cancelled, extremely long wait times in emergency rooms. We're now even looking at potential delayed ambulance arrivals when we need our healthcare workers the most. Though our provincial leaders are hesitant to admit it, we're in a healthcare crisis and it's one that began years before the pandemic started. This is the 519 Podcast presenting Crisis at the ER, examining Ontario healthcare. Here's your host,
2: Craig Needles. Over the last year, we've been hearing some distinctly different stories about the state of Ontario's health care system. One is from the government. Before government says everything's fine, everything's handled, and the use of the word crisis is an exaggeration. It's a calming rhetoric they're presenting us with, but it's the polar opposite of what people who are working in healthcare care would tell you. They're understaffed, underfunded, ERs are closing for weekends at a time, surgeries are postponed, nurses are burnt out. Everything seems to be collapsing at a pace that we've never seen. The question is, who do we believe? The people on the front lines working and living through the COVID-19 struggle or our politicians who assure us that this is not a big problem? Let's begin with taking a look at what's going on at our hospitals. This is Claudette Holloway, President of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario.
3: The shortage of nurses has been in existence for some time, particularly in Ontario. For so the years that has not been addressed and the pandemic only made it worse. But definitely um, when you have nurses who are only supposed to, uh, on a regular basis, care for a certain amount of, of, of patients, clients, and when that number is doubled, when that number is increased, when they're not able to take their vacation, when you know, they don't want to leave their, their, their clients, their patients in distress, they have to stay on. So, you know, there's only so much people can take. We have nurses who are the backbone of the healthcare system who are feeling undervalued, uh, disrespected due to many things, including the cap on their wages at 1% as a female-dominated profession where others did not have that cap. And with the rise in inflation rates, um, it's very hard for them to manage daily. Um, We're also seeing that there's closures of uh, ERs and people being moved in intensive cares, And we know that that is not what nurses want to see that, uh, that effect on Ontarians and having quality health care. That is not quality health care. And as we have an emergency department, then we deserve to have that available. Um, we've heard uh, talk about you know nine out of 10 receiving adequate care, but we want everyone. We want 10 out of 10. Everyone deserves. Uh, equal access to care.
2: Nine out of ten people receiving adequate care seems all right when that's just nine out of ten people, but all of a sudden it becomes 90 out of 100. 900 out of a thousand, and with a province as large as Ontario, it's more realistically 9,000 out of 10,000. That's a thousand people who are not getting that adequate care. That number is huge. This is Jeff Hanks, an RN and co-chair of the Ontario Health Coalition in London. In January, CBC
4: released a report. One third of Ontario's hospitals hit levels of overcrowding that are higher than those uh, deemed a humanitarian crisis by the Red Cross in the UK. My partner usually has to look after eight patients. And at night, sometimes it's 12 patients. And when stuff hits a fan, you know, you, sometimes it requires four or five nurses at once to look after one patient. And, and everybody else just kind of has to wait. And it's, uh, it's shameful. Nurses get burned out and, you know, patients suffer because nurses just don't have their best uh, game. You know, when you're the nervous system, when you're always at this level of stress, you start to not remember things. You you start to, you know, you, you're you just uh, reacting and it, it's not the best way to, to give your best care.
3: This is affected us all because when we need emergency care, it is like we need it right now. We don't want to have to travel to another place to get it. You know, we could lose our life in the, in, the, in the travel between A and B. You know, when we go to an emergency, we expect to have those services.
2: Well, nurses are being impacted right now, it's also affecting potential generations of nurses to come. It's putting at risk sustainable health care for the long term.
4: Sometimes you have students, you have to train the next generation. And uh, they're being asked to take on stuff that's totally unfair. Like, you go to work and if you're trying to be trained in a new job, they don't have time to train you. They're so busy and overworked that it's all they can do to get the work done. And they, they say, well, I'm sorry. I didn't have time to train you properly, but we're just so busy, you know? So, um, everybody's having to do more with less things are getting missed. You know, the blood tests aren't, aren't, are getting missed. The, the, the results of them might get missed. We might do the wrong procedure on a person and, uh, you know, people aren't getting the the one-on-one, empathetic, compassionate talks that, that you need to give them and find out what's really wrong. So
2: how did we get here?
4: And when did things start to go so wrong? The crisis has been here for long before the pandemic. Like, um, just the, uh, I think it began in the 70s with neo- neoliberalism and uh, neo- neoconservativism. We can get back to that later, but... You know, in the 1990s, they cut about 18,000 hospital beds. Um, They um, generally, since the 70s, we've had a right wing uh, neoliberal, neoconservative agenda where we decrease social spending, decrease taxes, privatize and deregulate. And they use it to uh, put the squeeze on public services so that uh, corporations pay less taxes and we have to privatize. So, like uh, during uh, Harper's reign, when he was in for 10 years, he cut uh, public or cut taxes by 20 billion and wind cut taxes by 15 billion. So, Mark Carney at the time, the Bank of Canada government said corporations are sitting on 600 billion in tax cuts. And we learned uh, that they offshored it. They used it to lobby the government for deeper cuts and more privatization. So it was here a long time ago, even before the pandemic. Um, Hospitals in London have been operating at 110% capacity before the pandemic. Um, The Liberals had a policy of 0% increases for hospitals for five years while I was working at a hospital. They cut 100,000 nursing hours. They contracted out uh, transcription services and cleaning. They just cut and cut and cut. And there was basically nothing left to cut. Ontario's in a 22,000 uh, nurse shortage right now. And Ford passed Bill 124 before the pandemic limiting to nurses and, and public educators to 1% increase. And so as nurses headed into the pandemic, it was a nightmare. It was already a nightmare because they, of hallway medicine. And uh, many of the many more left the profession, like myself. Like, why do I want to go and work um, somewhere as a nurse and risk my license? And when I I call them out and say this is unsafe, it's not safe for me, it's not safe for patients, it's unjust, and we get attacked. So um, things are really bad right now. We need more uh, acute care beds, like more hospital beds. We need more healthcare funding. We need incentives for nurses to uh, stay in the profession. We need tons more staff. Doctors need more support. You know, Ford's cut all kinds of stuff before the pandemic.
2: All these cuts are coming from people who aren't exactly seeing what's been going on in hospitals on the day-to-day basis. You
4: know, the health coalition is calling it a crisis. Nurses, uh, unions and and hospital unions, doctors, uh, experts are calling it a crisis. And the health minister is saying is in denial. There's no crisis. Well, the health minister, uh, in my opinion, doesn't seem to, to be competent to, to fulfill the role if uh, they have no health care background and in a crisis when everybody's telling them it's a
2: crisis, they're denying it. This is Mike Schreiner. He's the leader of the Green Party of Ontario.
1: Well, I believe the government is completely out of touch and in a state of denial about the crisis we're facing in the health care system. And I mean, it's been extraordinary this week to see the health care minister first deny that there's a problem. And then in the throne speech, kind of admit that there might be a problem, but it's going to be really complicated to solve it, to essentially putting out trial balloons around privatization and healthcare. I mean, it's completely unacceptable. The reality is, is Ontario spends less money per capita than any province in the country on its healthcare system. We have a government that underspent its own healthcare budget by one point eight billion dollars, and a government That refuses to listen to nurses, doctors, healthcare experts, the opposition party, practically everyone in Ontario who's saying scrap Bill 124, which caps both wages and benefits for nurses and other frontline healthcare workers at 1%, and empower them to negotiate fair wages, fair benefits, and better working conditions, especially given everything that our frontline healthcare. Uh, workers, and I'd like to call them heroes because they are heroes, but until the government starts treating them like heroes by paying them properly, uh, you know, um, we're not going to solve this crisis in the healthcare system. And, And so for the minister now to start saying, well, you know, privatization is on the table, it's just outrageous.
2: By all accounts, we're in the midst of a health care crisis. But when you talk to government MPPs or provincial leaders about it, they aren't willing to admit it. This is how Sylvia Jones addressed the situation on the Ontario legislature back on August 10th. The Minister of
0: Health said it would be completely inappropriate to say our health care system is in crisis. But right now, in Hamilton, health care officials describe the situation as increasingly precarious... Both Hamilton General and the Jaravinsky are running over 120% patient capacity, forced to pay double just to keep emergency rooms open, and code zero events where no ambulances are available to respond continue to rise. Speaker, I ask, how bad is too bad before this government will acknowledge this crisis?
5: You know, I I am reminded of a visit I made to St. Joe's a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it was to be updated on a recent investment that our government has made to ensure that their emergency department is protecting our most vulnerable individuals who have serious mental health illnesses, who need to have that specialized emergency care. And um, frankly, they are very excited about the opportunity to finally get that expansion. That coupled with 52 different hospital expansions that are in process in the province of Ontario. That is unprecedented. When we see the kinds of investments that we are making in our hospital, in our healthcare system, it makes me very proud to serve with this premier, with this caucus, because it means we understand and appreciate you need to make investments, you need to build to make sure that we have the healthcare system we need when people need it. Thank you.
0: Supplementary question.
5: Speaker, everyone knows, maybe perhaps with the exception
0: of this minister, that the first step to solving a problem is to acknowledge there is one. The chief of emergency medicine at St. Joe's described what's happening as a perfect storm leading to a situation we haven't seen in the past. Um, a breaking point, a disaster, unprecedented, these are words that health minister health not health ministers, health officials are using to describe the situation right now. So my question to the Minister, to the Premier, with Ontario nurses here in the House, why do you continue to deny the reality
5: of the crisis in our health care system? Speaker, I've said it at the beginning and I will say it at the end. We will work with all partners who have solutions. So far. I haven't heard any solutions from the other side. I have heard solutions from hospital CEOs, from nurses' unions, from the College of Nurses, from the College of Physicians and Surgeons. I have solutions that they are bringing forward, saying, if we do this, if you allow us to do this, we can make a change. Our government has already started those investments we have the hospital infrastructure that we want we have already invested to ensure that we have personal support workers in community in our long-term care and we will continue that work because we understand how critically important it is
2: She did not want to use the word crisis. Now, as the conversation continues, there are some potential solutions that are being proposed and discussed at the government level, but are the solutions that are going to work the ones the government wants to actually pursue? They're looking at the potential of privatization of some healthcare services across the province as a way to ease the burden.
4: Ford, uh, when he was running for premier, he came to London and did a press conference from the uh, Advanced Medical Group, and that's a private clinic. So he campaigned in London from a private clinic. So that signaled to them that he was, uh, you know, he's ready to bring in two-tier healthcare. And so uh, when he got in, he created a super agency and filled it with people from the private sector. So, you know, they're all ready to make money for, for healthcare. Now, the, the LIN and the CCAC, the Local Health Integration Network, used to um, tell us when they were meeting Tell us what they are, were talking about. And they used to have to demonstrate they're delivering service based on public need. And now they got rid of all that. Fast forward in February, the health minister said they're going to expand private hospitals and private clinics. And Ford said, you know, they uh, are giving them $24 million for for what? I don't know, but taxpayers' money shouldn't be going to fund uh, private health care. The Canada Health Act says that we shouldn't pay for medically necessary services. The the Trudeau government needs to enforce the Canada Health Act.
1: If the minister was willing to be clear and honest with the people of Ontario, that the government is not going to do any further privatization of our healthcare system, and we do have some private delivery in our healthcare system, and I think when you look at long-term care, I mean, it's clear... During the pandemic, that tragically, um, you know, far more people received inferior care and lost their lives uh, during the pandemic in private long-term care versus public long-term care. So, you know, if the minister would say we're looking for innovation within a publicly funded, public-delivered healthcare, that there will be no consideration of further privatization of healthcare delivery, then I'd have more confidence in that because absolutely, like who, who's opposed to innovation, who's opposed to doing things better and more efficiently. But the bottom line is, is over and over again, it's been shown that publicly funded, publicly delivered care provides better care. And I can tell you the people of Ontario, they want to know that their healthcare dollars are going to be spent caring for people not profits for corporations.
2: We saw examples of what the privatization of healthcare would look like during the pandemic. And if it becomes the new status quo, it's not exactly price friendly, Hanks would argue. He privatized COVID vaccinations.
4: There was a company, um, FH Health, where all the, the directors on the board donated to the Ontario Conservative Party, and they, you know, coincidentally got a contract. You know, he gave contracts to Shoppers Drug Mart and Rexall. He privatized COVID testing at the height of the pandemic. He drastically restricted uh, access to testing and then had uh, private corporations or, or businesses selling $200 for a COVID test. They're uh, privatizing the next generation of long-term care beds, 18,000 of them. Um, They're giving 30-year contracts to some of the worst offenders with no strings attached. For example, the, the Ford government, uh, Labor and a lot of other experts were calling for four hours minimum care per resident senior per day, right? So the Ford government promised to bring that in by 2025. Well, we need that now. It's just a... These people paid into healthcare and and their whole lives and they deserve to live live with dignity. Long-term care homes lobbied not to be regulated, not to be uh, inspected. And uh, it it was an example. The for-profit homes had more people die than anywhere else in the world in Canada. And it was just horrific. So the Ford government said, okay, we'll have these huge fines if uh, the home care, if they don't meet the standard or whatever. But Nobody's ever been fined, and nobody ever will be fined. What's the point of having these fines if you're not going to enforce them? So they need to hire a lot more people in uh, home care, the hospitals, and long-term care because the system's just really straining, and uh, people just don't want to work under these horrific conditions anymore.
2: Throughout the crisis, we've been hearing two very different voices. The government's considering privatization as a solution, whereas healthcare care workers would tell you that's a non-starter. What are healthcare workers actually hoping to accomplish, though?
1: Well, first of all, we we need to make sure that we have a retention and recruitment strategy for frontline healthcare workers, especially nurses. I mean, the Ontario Green Party put one forward two years ago. You know, I mean, so we've seen we've seen this crisis building. We've seen it coming. The fact that the government has waited so long to act is just unacceptable. But it starts with repealing Bill One Twenty Four. So that nurses and other frontline healthcare workers can negotiate fair wages, fair benefits, and better working conditions. I mean, that would say to those workers that we respect them, that we honor them, that when we call them heroes, we're going to treat them like heroes, uh, and not show the levels of disrespect. It would recognize that you know, frontline healthcare workers have been underpaid, overworked, and underappreciated uh, throughout the pandemic. So that's the start. Second. Fast-track accreditation of interna- internationally trained healthcare providers. You know, I was meeting with the Registered Nurses Association, and they're saying there are fifteen to 20,000 nurses in Ontario, internationally trained, who could be accredited to work in the province. You look at neighboring states like the state of New York, they've got a system that fast tracks those accreditations and get those professionally trained people. Uh, working at standards that that you know meet New York standards, we can do the same thing in Ontario. It just it just makes no sense that we have healthcare workers available to us uh, that simply aren't being accredited. And quite frankly, um, there's money in the system because right now a lot of nurses who are feeling overworked and underpaid are now starting to work for what's called agencies where they get paid way more money, which is actually costing um, hospitals, for example, far more money to hire those temporary nurses. Then the final point I will make to Doug Ford is actually spend your healthcare budget. I mean, the fact that they underspent the healthcare budget by $1.8 billion, according to the financial accountability officer, while we're facing an unprecedented pandemic, and quite frankly, you know, the largest number of emergency room closures I've ever seen. We have healthcare professionals saying the system is collapsing around them. And you have the government not even spending their full budget. It makes absolutely no sense. And it makes their you know efforts to blame it on the federal government um, ring hollow. Yes, we need the federal government to step up with more uh, health transfers to support all provinces, including Ontario. But Ontario's got to spend the money that's transferred to them Uh, in in order to make sure people get the the kind of care they need and deserve.
2: As for a solution on the future of nursing...
3: We know that we have 26,000 internationally educated nurses, 14,000 of which are registered nurses, who are just waiting in the wings to get on board in the health uh, care field and nursing. And, you know, it's just a matter of processing their uh, information so they can get started in uh, as soon as possible because the resources are right here. We have a number of nurses who have retired um, and we know that, you know, with incentives that would help them to come back to help mentor these nurses. We're also seeing that there's an interest in in, uh, nursing because we've we've seen a 35% increase in those enrolling to study nursing. So, you know, we need uh, funding to support that. Um, And we know that there's also uh, personal support workers who are looking to move forward in their career, moving from PSW to uh, registered practical nurses, registered practical nurses wanting to move to RNs and so on. So um, we have, even though we have the situation, we know that there are people interested in our profession. Oh, an increase in 70% of nurse practitioners who can be so valuable in the uh, the, the nursing profession and in healthcare, to uh, help in places such as long term care
2: activists and people who are working on the front lines alike are trying to figure out some solutions to these healthcare care issues, and they don't want privatization but this is a conversation we should all be taking seriously because this is the future of our health care system.
1: One of the points I really want to make when emergency rooms close like this, you know that 's not just a statistic or a number. these are real people 's lives you know people who you know, maybe in some sort of accident and need urgent care and they can't access that care, you know, close to home and are being forced to travel longer distances or, or, or wait longer. And I can't tell you how many, you know, constituents have reached out to me, you know, in, in you know, have seen their own health deteriorate, have been in the emergency room, you know, experiencing significant pain or an acute illness. And waiting hours and hours to receive care. It's just unacceptable, especially in a province where we have uh, the people and the facilities to provide that care if we had a government that would just make the investments needed.
4: The healthcare system is the greatest thing about Canada, pretty much. It's a huge public asset. We've paid billions and billions into that because we value uh, people receiving service based on need rather than ability to pay so let's protect that and let's uh, let's make that you know flourish let's thrive through continuing that there's no greater equalizer of our society than a a public health care system that ideally should value everybody and give equal access but we have to reinvest in it we have to fight for it now
1: This episode of the 519 Podcast was written by Pat Magermans and Haley Chang. It was hosted
3: by Craig Needles.
0: The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.